My name is Erin Bross, and this is The Dirt, Confessions of a Tree Planter. Art for this podcast comes from another tree planter, Bethany Davis, as part of her illustration series, Follow the Trees. This is a podcast about tree planting as a reforestation practice in the silviculture industry. Tree planters are a collective of people who spend much of their lives replenishing a logged area with new forest. However, tree planting is so much more than the physical act of planting thousands of seedlings in the ground day after day as a job. It is about the connections, experiences, bonds, and memories that last a lifetime. The dirt is a place to shed light on the culture that is mostly contained within those who have stuck a shovel in the ground. It is meant to dive deep into all things tree planting as a place for those to reminisce, relate, or to learn. So wherever you're coming from, as any tree planter would say, may the planting gods be with you. Hey folks, so, you know, after releasing the COVID recap planter edition on Monday, yeah, I also just thought it was appropriate to, yeah, get some feedback from other planters on their experiences. And then, of course, sort of check back in with Jordan, especially because of his sort of newfound role within the industry here, um, this sort of liaison between the contractors and planters uh, with all things COVID related. So as some of my listeners may remember, we did um, some COVID episodes back in the spring to get people in the loop on what the heck was going on. And so, yeah, I just wanted to to check back in from a more... Um, management higher up side of things just in silviculture in general and especially with all things health and safety uh with jordan um in terms of how the season went for him and just the perceptions he has especially from you know going in later on this fall and and doing audits safety audits uh sort of around the industry and and yeah so what he's uh been seeing what he's been hearing in terms of rumblings for for next season and uh yeah so we just go into all things covid and all things uh yeah that we we had going on this season which of course was a lot so yeah give it a listen um hopefully for any of you who are already planning on going back or thinking about going back or thinking about getting into the industry. Um, You know, we talk a little bit about uh, 2021 and what's probably in store for next season. So hopefully this can provide you all with a little bit of insight into that. And, uh, and even just like getting an idea of like what the industry itself is thinking. Um, cause you know, of course, uh, Jordan isn't out there planting anymore and, uh, he's spending a lot of time with, uh, the makers and shakers of, you know, our seasons, the companies, um, you know, with being the mills and the contractors and just like everyone involved, uh, higher up. So I think this provides a nice insight into kind of what's been going on for them and, and what they're thinking. Um, yeah. And so I just wanted to have the opportunity or for you guys to have the opportunity to be able to get a bit of insight into that. So give it a listen, share it around with your friends and, uh, thank you again so much for supporting the show and yeah, stay tuned for lots of episodes coming uh, in the next few months. Okay, Jordan, welcome back. Thank you for inviting me, Aaron. Yeah, it's been a bit. Um, yeah, because we last connected, well, in April, really, um, doing the, that COVID episode and just when things were really sort of ramping up. So um, how are you feeling after all that? 
Well, <laughs> how I'm feeling today is all relative to the political situation in the South being on the mm. second day of the election. But, you know, overall, just in terms of the, the way the season has gone, I feel um, I feel decent about it. You know, I feel a lot less panicked than sort of, you know, I think a lot of us may f- have felt back in the spring when there were so many unknowns. And, um, you know, um, I, I, I'm mostly I'm just impressed. I'm just impressed with the ability of everybody to succeed this year. Um, and, you know, quite, quite impressed with just the, the, the things that I saw people do this year were, were really incredible. Yeah, so let's maybe just start off, you know, you're mentioning to me briefly here before we started the the recording that, uh, yeah, you know, you're sort of catching up on work you would have done normally like six, seven months ago. So, you know, let's start with how everything with COVID and all these measures really changed your job this year. Well, usually I do safety audits. So that's usually the main thing that I do. And then I also do a lot of, you know, health and safety consulting workshops, Um, You know, a big emphasis over the last few years, as I think most people in the industry know, is trying to raise awareness around sexual harassment and assault and and try to provide people with some some basic tools to try to, you know, deal with that in the workplace. And, um, you know, when when COVID came in, we could no longer do the in-person training sessions and a lot of that had to shift to Zoom that's a minor adjustment, you know, in the big scheme of things, making that adjustment was not a big deal to me. Um, I think it just requires some changes in, in communication tactics and, um, you know, that, that some, and I couldn't go out to as many workplaces in person. So there was some connection lost, but that wasn't so much of a big challenge for me personally. I usually do safety audits um, where I go in and I review a company for, you know, two, three, four or five days. And then, um, you know, provide that that certification audit report so so um so that they get their their core or their certificate of recognition which is insurance rebate and so forth i couldn't do those we we shut down audits entirely um to be honest some people that do my job i actually understand retired they took it as an opportunity like well i'm not going to work for six months i'm going to find something else to do um the audits i i ended up with a big backlog of them and i'm just I'm doing them now. So I'm working basically seven days a week. Actually, I'd say I'm probably working nine days a week right now. So, um, but those, you know, quite honestly, I look at that and I feel fortunate really, you know, yes, there's some timing and there's some production pressure, but um, I, I feel fortunate that I'm able to stay active. So were you actually off work during that like sort of six month window then? Like how did that, how did that work for you? Well, I was, I was off my, my usual auditing, like my main stream of income, um, you know, but then I was, I was brought in by the industry to provide um, ongoing, you know, services for, um, for, for planning around COVID and communication and dealing with government agencies and helping companies navigate and understand the demands that were being placed upon them. So the, the industry basically kept me busy and I ended up, you know, a, a lot of that is sort of funded through the safe forestry program. Fact is, is that COVID is a health and safety issue um, and, and how we manage it was sort of a key thing. So I became directly involved in sort of helping the, the industry adapt. And that became a very, that became basically a full-time endeavor 
um, through much of March, April, May, and even into June, July. So, so yeah, um, I was off my usual work and, but they did, you know, they did find a way to keep me, you know, busy and, uh, I managed to, uh, not miss any, you know, payments. So that was a, that was a good thing. I feel, again, I feel fortunate compared to a lot of other people, you know, who have been through more hardship. Yeah. And so are you still kind of in that role right now? Like, did it, it wind down once the season was going, um, you know, are you going to be involved with that, you know, for the foreseeable future? I guess in a sense, yes. And I should clarify, there's no set role. Um, Mm -hmm. When, when COVID broke, it's not like we had people in positions that were sort of had an idea of how to handle this, right? It was more sort of like respond in the moment. Okay. Um, You know, there's some clear things that needed to be done. We needed to um, develop some guidelines for operating that we're going to keep the government happy and keep the clients happy and keep communities happy. We also need to you know, we also needed to communicate to the workers. That was a big role that I had was, you know, as I said to the industry, you can have the greatest plan in the world, but if you don't communicate it to people, you know, you can't expect them to to implement it. And and workers need to know what they're getting into. You need to disclose and tell them that there's going to be, if there's going to be restrictions, you need to tell them in advance and you need to be able to answer their concerns and be respectful and 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 give them an opportunity to be part of the conversation. So that became a large part of what I was doing was sort of a bit of a a liaison function. But again, you know, like that role was very loosely defined and um, it will include um, it will it will carry into next year. It'll be different. We're, We're going into next year with a lot more known, you know, like we have a lot better idea of how this actually affects operations. We certainly know more about how it affects people and human beings. And um, we also know more about the costs. That was one of the things that, that was maybe invisible to the planters for the most part was the amount of, the amount of cost and, and calculations and, and, you know, re rejigging the budgets of, of company operations um, and how much work went into that. So, um, you know, tree planting is, it makes its money on volume. It's not a high margin, you know, like it's a couple percent kind of thing generally. So there was a lot of companies out there that were basically facing the choice between, you know, going to work and risking, you know, basically bankruptcy. Um, and then trying to find a way that they could get their, these extra costs covered because some companies end up spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, reorganize their camps, hire extra staff, get extra trucks, you know, purchase all these supplies. So there was a tremendous budgeting process that went through and then a political process of trying to find a way to pay for all that, get the money from the government, get the money from the licensees, however that works out, you know, and let's face it, there's only so much money to go around the society. We're seeing everything stretched thin. So for the, so for the industry, it was standing there with its hand out at the same time as everybody else. So that was a, that was a fairly intense sort of process. Yeah. And, you know, with this role basically being created now, whether, you know, however unofficial it may be, it's, it's pretty, pretty official within like the culture and the community of planters now, I think. So, you know, looking into 2021, do you see more of a um, sort of official communication between what's going to happen in terms of, 
of all of the approvals again for extra funding and whatnot from, from the government or from the health authority, um, you know, to planting companies and to contractors. Do you see that being better communicated next year directly from the contractors to planters? Or do you see yourself as that role now being, being that liaison once again, you know, whether that's earlier in the year, like January, February, or whether that comes later on closer to the start of the season again, um, how do you sort of predict or see that dynamic uh, unfolding in 2021? Oh, that's a, it's a good question. It's a little complicated, but I'll, I'll try to take a stab at it. Um, I, I do think that, um, that there's more clarity and it'll be more transparent about, you know, the whole cost system, you know, like that's, I, I won't get into the money thing. Cause really like, I don't want it. That was not just me. It was mostly other people working on the money thing. I'm not, I'm not really, an, you know, a super spreadsheet sort of person in that regard. Um, but in terms of the communication, I think I, I expect to continue to play that role in a bit of a liaison service, but I also think, and, I, and I've made this clear to the, to the industry as well, is I think that there needs to be, and I expect there will be, more direct communication from, from the industry to the workers, sort of like some more formal statements about this is what is happening, this is what we anticipate for the season, and this is our objectives. I've, I've told the, the association that is that would be helpful, that they provide some sort of you know, communication presence. That being said, the association only represents some of the contractors, um, and there's a lot of diversity even within the groups they do represent. So they can, they may provide some broad strokes, you know, which is good, but there's still going to be a need for individual contractors to have better communication. I think that was one of the things where, where I don't want to criticize the contractors. I don't want to say it was lacking. Let's face it, people were adapting on the fly. They weren't, nobody, even our, our governments and our healthcare systems weren't prepared Companies had to learn how to communicate with their workers. They didn't want to scare people off, but they, they also didn't want to lull them into a false sense of security. So I'm hoping that companies will have learned a little bit uh, and enough, they'll have learned enough that they'll be able to communicate with their workers more effectively. I think it's really important for rookies. You know, there's always going to be rookies. And for the rookies coming out, it's really important that they know what to expect. Um, I think for the vets that were out there this year, they sort of have a bit of an idea and they'll at least know the right questions to ask. But even things like, you know, how are you going to arrange travel plans? Some companies did a really good job of that and said, look, this is, this is the situation you face coming from Ontario to the BC. This is the documentation you need. This is how you should set up a good travel plan. Other employers were just sort of like, yeah, you know, like get out here May 3rd. So I think we will see improved communication on that front. Um, and I also think it's important to sort of, you know, remind workers, you know, and I'll, you know, it's a lot of people know this, the WFCA represents the contractors. It's a contractors association. It's never been, it's never really been set up to communicate with the workers. They're not against that. They're, they're actually, you know, as a contractors association goes they're they, they pay a lot of attention to workers but they're not designed to do that. So again, that's something they have to learn how to do. And, um, you know, and hopefully it can become a more regular process. I think that workers that understand their industry and understand the, the conditions and the regulations end up being better off. So. Yeah. Cause I just know for, you know, any of the, the planters and uh, people in the industry who will be listening to this, you know, I think come January, especially people, you know, as, 
the bids are coming out and people are doing hiring and, you know, sort of starting to put together the seasons, but especially for returning vets, you know, people are going to be expecting to have some semblance of an idea of, yeah, what the season's going to look like. Are things generally speaking going to be similar to last year? And, you know, cause people are going to start to, you know, January, February, start thinking about their season, start planning things out. And, and of course we know, especially in terms of the rookies with everything that went down this year, like that was where uh, some of the biggest losses were in terms of people uh, deciding not to go last minute. You know, so many people I've talked to and I've seen in so many situations where the, the camps were short of planters, you know, they were way low on capacity. People didn't have full crews. Um, so yeah, that was something that I think definitely really affected everything this season too. So, so yeah, I can see, I can see planters wanting to know more, uh, you know, early 2021. So. Well, I think there's a few things that'll be different this year. One of them is that, you know, we realized that we didn't know much about COVID last year. Like really it could have been, you know, we really didn't know much about the nature of the illness. We didn't know how dangerous it was or even, you know, fully how it spread. We know more now. There's still a lot of things subject to debate, but we know more about it, at least for this worker population, knowing it's, it's not like an immediate and mortal threat to wipe out scores of tree planters. It is indeed a threat to certain parts of the population that helps us understand, you know, how we need to adjust. But I think there's a lot less, you know, just uh, free floating, irrational fear around it. There's a little bit more knowledge. So that'll that'll help maybe people make an informed decision about whether or not they want to go. Now, the, the second thing we know is a little bit more about the expectations on the industry. Um, Regardless of what anybody thinks about COVID, what anybody, whatever their opinion might be about uh, public health policies, and regardless of whether or not they, they think the pandemic response is right, ultimately our, our industry is in a situation where we sort of have to meet the demands of, of higher power, so to speak. You know, we sort of have to come up with a plan that's going to satisfy the, the health authorities and satisfy the, the clients and satisfy communities. I think the communities is probably the 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 most the maybe the most important one. We've proven we can work with the health authorities. We've proven that we can, you know, develop guidelines and and implement systems. I don't. I think we've earned the trust of the government and the health authorities that they kind of go, okay, you folks have figured it out. You know, we'll continue to endorse the changes you make. Maintaining trust of communities is going to be a little trickier. Um, but that's that's really you know the the sort of the key task for the industry is is not so much to um, make a decision about about COVID itself, but to come up with a plan so that we can go to work, um, you know, while satisfying all of these COVID management plans around us. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it, it's um, you know. It, it, we've done well, but well isn't necessarily good enough for everybody. And we also, we also, you know, even if it's more predictable next year, we, we still don't know what conditions we'll face. Like nobody has a crystal ball. We hope that either, you know, the virus will be reduced to a negligible level or that we'll have enough scientific certainty around it that we'll be able to, you know, better, you know, assess what we need to do. We may not have that. There's no guarantees. We could we could see the curve just go off the charts by next spring, or we may see continued scientific 
debate around what should be done about the virus. Regardless of that, we need to have a plan to go to work. So I can at least speak a little bit about what the current plan is for 2021. Um, because there's been some, I, I have had some questions around that from people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before we head into sort of 2021, uh, let's just touch on, because I know, of course, you would have been a little bit behind the scenes um, and in this, you know, new COVID role versus doing the audits and being out there uh, sort of during the main season. But I'm curious what kinds of, of good things and bad things you saw with the the new format that was established this past season um you know because of course there were a lot of new things introduced like aside from just um you know some covid related things i mean they were all technically covid related but things like like the wi-fi and the laundry and you know these these different measures that um mm. yeah will probably stay within tree planting <laughs> now and and anything you saw there that was um, you know, generally speaking, like uh, good or bad uh, with all of that? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. For certain, um, I didn't get to see a lot of these systems implemented in the camps, but I heard about them. Um, certainly, you know, I didn't get to test the Wi-Fi and see see if the signal was good, but I know that that idea would generally be well received by workers. Like, let's face it, you know, maintaining connection, particularly during periods of isolation is important. That was one of the key things that we emphasized right back in March. We said, look, if we're gonna be asking people to be in isolation, we better provide them options to stay connected with, with their family, with their peers, with the outside world. We didn't know what we were getting into. They might have relatives that are getting sick. So I'm, I, I'm hoping that companies answered the bell and I hope that they improved their systems. I didn't actually get to see it, but certainly that was recognized as a positive thing even before it was, you know, put out on the ground. I think the extra sanitization, you know, over and over and over again, um, I heard what a difference that made to overall health conditions. There were colds, there were probably the odd flu. There was probably, you know, a few isolated cases of gastrointestinal illness. But I have zero doubt that there was a significant reduction in the spread of other illnesses within camps. Um, Let's face it, it's a dirty job. You're living in a camp. Um, You know, yes, you have showers. They're not always the best. But enhancing those hygiene facilities, um, enhancing the hygiene facilities seem to have made a a big difference for a lot of different um, people. I, I noticed, like, I can't believe how clean the trucks are. I go and I inspect trucks in September. I expect them to have an inch of dirt and food on the bottom. They're all sparkling clean. So, you know, that was something that was good. Trucks were, you know, clean trucks get taken care of better. Um, laundry facilities, sometimes people, you know, even in the best seasons where there's no pandemic, there's sometimes people that want to stay in camp. Well, when you make it easier to stay in camp and maybe you provide food to them, some people actually like that. Um, having the freedom to go to town when you have needs, whether those be material or psychological, that's important, but it's also nice to have the option. So those were positives. Um, you know, uh, I'd say that, um, some of the, uh, some of the, the attention, the, the, the focus that this brought to mental health was a positive, um, I'm not saying that the mental health challenges were, were great. Let's face it, you know, like we're, you know, the, the modern world is troubling enough, but mental health was the, was one of the main topics at the conference back in January, pre COVID. That was already something we were trying to raise awareness about the conversation had started. And I think the number of contractors 
and employees that became really interested in addressing mental health and recognized the importance. That was sort of like a, I don't want to call it a positive thing, but it, it was sort of a, a good outcome to see attention being drawn to that important element of the job. Um, you know, I was like, good, this is important. And this, this just hammers home exactly how important mental health is for workers in a demanding job like this. So those are some of the things that I thought were, were good about the season. And also just the, the validation of this industry to, to show what it can do. That was probably the biggest positive outcome is that um, there was a lot of doubts pointed at tree planters as people and at contractors as responsible parties. There were trolls in the media, um, you know, going on and on about how we were going to cause, you know, genocide in the North and how workers can't be trusted. And just to see all those trolls proven wrong was very gratifying to see the industry prove its quality and show that it can, it can implement a plan and get people to work without a disaster as good or better than any other sector. And to see tree planters get recognition from the premier, from the federal ministry of the environment. Um, it was, you know, it, it was really nice to see that, that do sort of be paid and, and there, and to see more respect um, expressed towards the, the, the people in the industry and, and the people that plan the industry. So those were, those were amongst the good outcomes. Okay. And then what about uh, any of the ones that weren't so great? Yeah. The, the negatives. Um, yeah. Well, let's face it. Nobody wants this. Um, I, I won't say necessarily negatives, but I'll say some of the challenges, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, clearly um, the, the pods posed a struggle, like trying to keep people in pods had uh, an impact on the ability of people to sort of socialize and enjoy that, enjoy that closeness, that intimacy that you get from being part of a crew and meeting new people. Like let's face it, everybody, everybody talks about planting as a social experience as well. You know, like I've got friends from around the world, you know, as a result of the job and, you know, sitting around the campfire snuggled in between, you know, a couple of people that I feel very close to listening to music to have that sort of compromised was, was incredibly difficult and probably painful at times. And I think that's acknowledged, you know, it's not just, it's not just, Oh, mental health problems. It was painful. It, it was painful and difficult on top of an already difficult job. Um, you know, yeah. Um, I wasn't out there in the camps, but I, you know, I think it's important that that painful experience of isolation was experienced by a lot of people and everybody throughout society. You know, if you're not in a camp and you, you know, you might be at home not seeing, not having seen your mom or your dad for, for months at a time, but physical isolation certainly puts a, a different, you know, spin on that. Um, it really, it really showed how much farther we, we could and should go in addressing mental health of workers and support for them. So, um, you know, uh, there's no, no, there's no denying that that was one of the difficult things. And it, it really comes down to the pod system. Um, and, you know, we recognize that when I say we, the industry and the planners in the industry really were, this was a central topic. Once we got to the end of May, we were already saying, look, this is hard. This is affecting people negatively. We can't keep them cooped up in, in pods this long, you know, and, 
And we knew that we had established safe camps because there were no there were no incidents of COVID and no positive tests. We felt confident that people were good. And we immediately, even in May, began you know, trying to get some relaxation to the guidelines, asking the government to recognize, you know, the the way things, the conditions in the industry, and to let us adjust the pods. Um, and that didn't happen. That didn't happen until July. They didn't actually change the guidelines until July. So it put companies in a bad position. Um, it wasn't that they didn't want to adjust the pods. Every single company I talked to wanted to have more flexibility at the pods. But the it put them in a situation where if they did adjust them, they'd be taken on the liability if things went south and caused a problem. So it put them in a tremendous position of assuming risk. So that that was a real, that was probably one of the most difficult things that, that came out of this. Um, there, there were some other challenges too. Um, certainly, you know, I think we had a high level of uptake. We had a lot of, um, I think the majority of companies did their best, but we did have some we we did have some parties that that sort of thumbed their nose and and try, and kind of went business as usual and it it created a bit of dissent it created some people that were sort of upset and going well why should we do this if they're not this is you know a feeling of unfairness not only amongst workers but also amongst contractors you know that's that's part of everything in life isn't it you know like you know you might be a responsible smoker but you walk down the street and see somebody flick a butt out their window um you know, I, I'm just hoping that it doesn't result in more people kind of saying, okay, well, I'm just going to flick my butts out the window or whatever. Um, but it, it was a challenge and it'll continue to be in, in everything to try to get people moving in the same direction. It's not just a matter of compliance. It's not a matter of getting people to follow the rules. But when the industry moves in, in a direction together, it, it, it seems to make things a little easier. It certainly makes it easier to get um, approval from government and approval for funding programs. Um, so that, that was, that was a small challenge, I would say. Um, but it was definitely one of the difficulties that came out of it. Um, you know, I, I think I'm talking big picture, you know, we can talk about the little difficulties for workers, you know, like you probably have had people tell you about those things. You probably had people tell, tell you what was difficult, whether it's, you know, being treated with respect when you do go into town or, um, you know, trying to, trying to get transportation all of a sudden, workers, you're talking transient workers that have to get across the country and their options are limited. How do they get a ride? Um, those may continue to be problems next year because mm -hmm. we know that transportation systems are still in recovery. You can't get flights to a lot of places. The buses are shut down. Um, you know, we don't have answers for all that yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of the, the issues too, is it's, it's a, interesting dynamic right now because I think it does take into account and, you know, we won't go into this discussion, but just to bring up at least, uh, you know, people's personal views on what's going on right now. And uh, that is, I think, a really important part that, um, you know, has another dynamic in this situation, um, you know, at the, at the management level, at the, you know, contractor owner level, as well at the, as well as the planter level, um, because we, we've been seeing that even a little bit more, you know, as all of this stuff that was only supposed to go on for like six weeks or eight weeks or whatever, you know, still dragging on. So I think, I think there's, uh, you know, that, that's a bit of a dynamic too, that, you know, we could potentially see continue because we're seeing it as well, just like in society as a whole. So, so definitely something to, 
Oh, yeah. You know, take note of as well. And um, yeah. Well, I'll I'll say one thing that's interesting is that we learned a lot about how slowly government works and Mm -hmm. and getting policies put in place is way easier than getting policies rescinded or adjusted. Um, Government, it works a lot slower and adapts a lot slower than than the private sector. Companies adapt on the fly. We're adaptive by nature as as individuals and as silviculture companies. We're ready to go. We have to, you know, the weather flipped. Okay, we're going to have to do things differently. Can't go to that block, have to go here now. Governments are very different. They have to please everybody. So that's been a difficult process trying to get approval and support from from, uh, from a body being the government and these health agencies that at times is running two to three months behind where we think we need to be. That's just, you know, that's just the reality of dealing with modern bureaucracies. But you're right. I think you point out the thing, the, the, you know, you've sort of hinted at it, but we've evolved so much in terms of the way society is engaging with this issue. It's now, it's now overlapped with politics. It's overlapped with other um, attitudes and ideologies towards, um, you know, the health systems and models of healthcare. Um, It's, it's become part of an election issue in the South lesser yeah. so up here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's natural that it's almost like a, a a greater expansion of what we experienced in our planting season with a lot of our, you know, basic freedoms that we'd always been used to being, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of taken away with these policies and with these measures. And um, yeah, so you're sort of, that's that's on a much wider scale now with all these like you know, mask policies and all of these other things coming in. So it's, uh, and, you know, I think the industry definitely felt that in the summertime when, you know, it would be nice to see our industry maybe have a bit more of their own power in that regard because the government was busy, you know, opening up everything else. And yet we were still supposed to be abiding by these same, like base essentially lockdown rules uh, in like mid July. So I, I think, yeah, that definitely had a huge effect on, on everyone I know. And um and, and yeah, that's, that's maybe one of the other challenges is that this industry is always judged and it's always judged by parties that seem to have tremendous influence over our, our fortunes and our ability to work. And we're sometimes judged unfairly. Um, you know, that we, we may have the perfect plan for, for getting to work and doing the job, but you know, if members of the public or, you know, local community members or some government agency sort of, looks at us and thinks that it's not good enough, they can make things quite difficult for us. So it seems that at times it kind of feels that we're held to an, uh, you know, a ridiculously high standard. And we're in that difficult position of trying to come up with a plan that'll let us get to work, even when some of the things we're being asked to do don't make a lot of sense. And, and that created a lot of, that created a lot of challenges. And, uh, you know, straight up, it's probably going to continue to create some challenges. For yeah. You know, there's forward. a lot of things about 2020 that, that don't make sense, I think. And a <laughs> lot of things were being asked to do that, that make no yeah. sense. But, uh, you know, I think at least, yeah, for, for me as, as a planter and going forward, I think a lot of listeners would echo this too, you know, yeah, there were no COVID cases anywhere. Right. So, and that's something that I've heard from many people echoed where it's like, there was no sickness, there was no outbreaks, there was nothing going on. And we had, you know, we were in communities, we were near communities, we were in camps, we traveled all over the country, you know, all these things, uh, you know, 
like it depends of course on your personal opinions of everything but essentially like they worked um you know generally speaking we'll just say it like that so you know going forward into 2021 let, let's focus a little bit on that and and yeah it would be nice to i don't know if if there's an ability for the wfca or the contractors to sort of push that like look here's our track record like give us a bit more leeway to you know be able to modify uh during the season like we should have been able to do last year in many ways um or maybe people were just doing it unofficially anyways um you know i don't really know but just sort of putting that out there because at at some point you know you don't want to have like a, a revolt of of the an entire camp or something um yeah and then you know maybe that undermines all the work that was being done but but yeah i'm curious you know for for 2021 um just with all of these things like just being no end in sight you know that just keep it just keeps going so so what you've said there is really important you know whether or not the you know it'd be nice if we had earned trust and we had more leeway in a sense that's exactly what has happened the, the guidelines have been modified and there is more flexibility um, which is good. So there's going to be more discretion available to employers next year. Now, I have to keep, I have to really point out that these guidelines are for all industrial work operations. They're not just for tree planters and silviculture. Let's face it, our government is, you know, only so efficient. It can hardly write a special set of regulations on the fly for each individual little subsector. But they have sort of set out a, a, a much different set of guidelines moving forward that we'll be operating under 2021 and that does include more flexibility in terms of how you implement pods and how you isolate workers and things like that um so that is there and i think that's that is sort of a result not only of silviculture success but other sectors did pretty good too um you know forestry operations and other places like hey let's face it you're largely outside you know your duration of, of confined exposure with other people is limited we shouldn't have had massive outbreaks. It should have been pretty good. So, you know, we, I don't think we defied the odds. I think we're actually structurally set up to succeed in a way. Um, the idea that we had no sickness, well, it's not like we had no sickness. Um, there were some, we had a, we had a lesser degree of sickness for sure. I, I feel hundred percent confident in saying that, that we had lesser incidents of sickness. We didn't have any positive tests. Um, I've talked to um, personnel within the provincial health authority and, and, and some of the, the, the medical expert staff that help the industry. And, and there's a very good possibility. We can't go back in time and prove it, but it's, it's very likely that we did have COVID in our camps at some point with asymptomatic carriers, but because everybody was being careful and because we had these extra steps in place, it just didn't translate into an outbreak where it started getting into communities and causing a huge blow up. So that sort of validates some of those extra things like cleaning and hygiene, you know, those will still be recognized as necessary. Um, but some of the more restrictive things like, you know, people not being allowed to go to town, those have been backed off. Um, the new language in the regulation, just for reference, it says that if, if employees go to town, if you're in a remote work operation where a company is setting you up in a camp or hotel and you go to town, you must, when you go out, you must have tissues or a mask. That's what it says. And I know that, you know, that was written back in July and we've actually learned a lot more even since then about it. And, and we may see that we may see that changed maybe with the latest um, research for, you know, that the federal health authorities pointing at. Maybe they'll say three layer mask instead of tissues or a mask. I don't know. But the flexibility is there. 
instead of saying you shouldn't go to town at all, it's now saying if you go to town, do this. Um, there is flexibility to adjust pods that companies are, sort of have some flexibility to adjust them. But I think we can look at maybe if you're interested in talking about what the current plan is, what we expect to see happen next spring. I think that's probably something that that should be should be on the discussion table as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say, um, you know, I guess I I understand why you're saying that, but I would really caution on that whole asymptomatic um, instance of it, of it being around. I mean, there's there's really no way to prove that. And so I yeah. think it's a bit of a inflammatory statement per se. So I would, I would caution against that because I, I think a lot of planters too have, you know, many people who felt quite seriously about this, you know, have taken pride in the fact that, uh, you know, yeah, like, like we all suffered uh, greatly to do this whole thing. So, um, you know, it's good to acknowledge uh, the hard work that like the planters put in as well. And, and, and I know, you know, yeah, like it, to say something like that, where there's literally no medical proof or way to prove when someone's asymptomatic. Um, yeah, I, I would just, I just want to point that out for anyone listening who, you know, may get a little pissed off by hearing that or whatever <laughs> with like, Hey, I just, you know, was shut off from the world for like two and a half months. And, and now, you know, somebody's saying that like, oh, we probably did have COVID, but we just didn't know. So. Oh, well, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily, I think it's in a sense, Aaron, I'm for, for one, I'm sort of passing on what was relayed to me by people with more letters after their name than myself. But um, the second thing is, is, is I think when I heard that and when I discussed that with the health authorities, it, it instead it validated it. It sort of showed that, look, you know, the, that all of these extra steps, you're right, we cannot prove something like that but there is an undeniable risk we don't know what that number risk is whether it was 90 percent likely that it happened or 20 percent but somewhere in there there is the possibility that it happened and and it, in a sense it sort of says well the measures that were put in place were not there put in place against a certainty they were put in place against a possibility um i i look at that and i kind of go if that was the case it, it shows that the extra care and the extra effort and the extra, you know, hardship that people endured, you know, I feel that more validates that and, and says good job on you. But, um, but again, I think that's subject to debates probably higher, higher than ourselves in terms of qualifications mm -hmm. to, to definitively settle. Uh, it will be different next year. Um, and I think, you know, if we want to look at what to expect, um, from, from what's been discussed is that companies look at what they believe, and this is based upon input from, from, you know, professionals as well. What were the keys to success in 2020 and, and how do we try to replicate that for next year? Um, I have said it over and over again, that if there's, if there was a critical key to success this year, if I can put my finger on one thing, it was the diligence and the willingness of workers to, um, remain isolated and, you know, sort of stay clean just before they came to work. The fact that people were sort of quite careful about, uh, about what was going on so that when they showed up, they showed up healthy. I think that was probably the single most important factor and it's probably even more important next year. So I think there will be a real focus on the first two weeks of the job. Now we're not in a trap where all of a sudden, you know, 
there's there, you know, you, you have to carry on those conditions for a, a month or two months or three months. We now have the flexibility that after the first two weeks, if, if things go well, then you have, you know, far more discretion to kind of go, okay, now we can get closer back closer to normal. So I would say that that is where things are heading for 2021. Um, and, and hopefully that is something that will be, um, become even more clear. Okay. If we're talking about two weeks of like, you know, isolation, what exactly are we going to have during that two weeks? How exactly are we going to be supported specifically, you know, how do we prepare for that? And when it comes to preparing for work, you know, that's going to be another challenge. How do we, how do we replicate that, that incredible response from the workers? Um, you know, so that they, they arrive and like, let's face it, when, when you arrive healthy, everybody knows that flus and stomach bugs are always more common in the first two weeks of the year. You know, like that's, that's just, that's been showing decade after decade after decade that the biggest, the biggest risks to, to workers losing days is getting sick. And that usually happens in the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, so, so that'll be a challenge. It'll be a communication challenge. Um, and, and it's also a bit of a trust thing too. You want to, you want to hopefully, you know, and I don't think any worker, no worker wants to be, you know, patient X that brings in, you know, the, the stomach bug, you know, nobody wants that. So I think we're all, everybody shares an interest in that respect. Um, so that's, that's kind of in a very general sense where I think things are going for next year. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll wait and see too. Cause we, I feel like if anything this year shows us too, that you can't really plan anything anymore. So uh, who knows what <laughs> yeah. things will look like uh, come April. But I mean, I think it is a nice feeling for all of us that uh, we know we have work. So. Yeah. We've got a great, you know, like that's the thing is our season, like it could have been so bad. Like I can't, I cannot, I cannot overemphasize how much, danger our sector was in uh, the the reverse domino effect that would have gone through the contractors up into the nurseries up into the seed the the seed seeding orchards and everything like there was a lot of companies that were ready to just shut it down that they felt that they would be taking a lot lower chance by not going to work than if they had went to work and and if this industry had shut down on the year when it was scheduled to plant 300 million trees it would have devastated job opportunities for tree planters for for years to come, it would have devastated our our national reforestation and afforestation capacity. Um, you know, there, there was so much on the line, but instead we're in a place where we're expected to hit 300 or more than 300 million in BC and have, you know, strong volume throughout Canada. Um, you know, so there, there is a lot of work. The bids are moving in a, in a continuing to move in a positive direction, um, which is good. And, and, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of optimism uh, around where things are going. One of the things I'm curious of, and, and maybe you can comment on this, Aaron, because you have this experience more than me, community relations are so important. They've never been more important than this year. There is a relationship between planters and the communities that host them or the ones that are closest to them. Um, you know, I'd like to point out that, that tree planters raised over $80,000 for local food banks this year. And one company contributed an additional $10,000 to a women's shelter. Um, some, of, some of this money was raised by planters that gave up an entire day's wages. I know there was at least half a dozen people that did that. One guy, one, one guy I, I was talking to 
um, or corresponded with a little bit, he had his record best day and gave every nickel of that and the, and the company matched it. That's an incredible gesture, but it, it, you know, we still have to deal with that. And I think, you know, that giving is put in context, workers and companies have been giving to local charities for decades. It just necessarily hasn't been like, you know, such a coordinated effort as it was this year, but that relationship between communities, I, I know you're the one who's doing the interview, but Tell me what it was like for you going into these communities. Tell me what your experience was like going in, you know, if and when you went into town, what was it like and how were you treated by people? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think it uh, it varied from community to community um, because I know I myself wasn't really necessarily in communities that were really hostile towards the whole situation because um, I've heard, you know, I've heard very strict uh, measures having been implemented in certain places um, and then in, in other spots, it not having to be as big of, of a deal. Um, and, you know, honestly, it wasn't necessarily like I was walking around and people knew that I was a tree planter either. Like, you know, I feel like you're only really recognized by other planters a lot of the time. And there was actually an emphasis where, um, you know, try to not dress like a tree planter as much. Like I know people that specifically <laughs> cleaned up a little more. I'm serious because I, um, no, I'm, I, yeah, I, they I just, believe you. I'm just laughing. Yeah, yeah they, they just, you know, cause they didn't want to have to deal with any of that. Although to be honest, like I think everyone in society was just so you know, within their own bubble. And so, especially if they were one of the people just consumed by fear with all of this, that like, you know, people don't even really notice you, even if they're looking at you straight at you. So, um, I didn't really experience any of that. And to be honest, I don't even know if people who were in some of these towns and cities and areas close to communities who are hostile about it, if, if that was even like a big deal for them, like, because of course they had all these extra measures to abide by, but I, you know, like a lot of the times it's, I, it's changed now, but six months ago, you know, people looked at you like there was something wrong with you. If you were wearing a mask, like you must be mm -hmm. sick because you're wearing a mask. Yeah. I think it was, it was fine. And it's, I don't even think that people often knew who I was or what I was doing, you know, I was just like somebody else like in, in town. So I think, I think it was easy for, with all of the fear and just like, it was such a crescendo during the lockdown with, you know, I think people and communities perhaps were just like feeding off of all of that energy. And so we're, you know, just like freaking out. And then when it actually came to everything playing out, like it was all fine. Um, yeah. So. There's a little bit of outsider fear there too. Like let's let's face it, you know, human beings are sort of at times very tribal by nature, and it's it's easier to sort of point your finger at an outsider because it gives you somebody to identify as the risk. You kind of go, well, there, you know, that's the problem. Outsiders coming in. It's easier than sort of looking at your own situation. Um, so I, I think the tree planters were sort of up against it a, a little bit, and and you know they always are. I I was not. I was sort of a little bit dismayed at times that some of the, some of the vitriol that I saw pointed at tree planters without any justification. Um, you know, but at the same time, our, our, I'll, I'll say that our secret, not a secret, but the key, the key to 
our ability as an industry to to get into these communities and be able to do our job was to listen to their concerns and say, yeah, those concerns are ours too. We have an interest in making sure that all of these things that you're worried about don't happen. And this is what we're going to do about it. And these are the steps that we're going to take. And even if it's, even if there's more expected of us than, than might on the surface seem reasonable, we're invested in you. We care about your communities and, and we're going to take extra steps to make sure that we protect you from any risk we might introduce. And I, I really feel that, that, you know, there were some exceptions with people partying in a parking lot and so forth, whatever, minor exceptions. I think for the most part, tree planters really stepped up and showed a very mature and conscientious attitude towards the communities that host them. And, and the, what they gave in terms of, you know, the contributions to, to the food banks, giving up their, their money. I just, to me, it was just astounding. It was nothing short of astounding the way workers um, followed through and, and did what was necessary, not just for themselves and protecting their own work interests, but to show a genuine positive regard for the needs of others. Um, it just, to me, it just validated everything that is, that is best about tree planters. And, you know, before we wrap up here, I do want to touch on something that, of course, was discussed a lot more last winter before all of this started to happen, because, of course, we were already going through a lot of changes within our industry before before all of this hit. How do you feel from your perspective, uh, you know, some of these um, major issues, you know, one of them being the shift uh, with tree prices and another one being... Um, yeah, the sexual harassment and really starting to address that a bit better. How do you feel uh, just from your end of things that went? Because, you know, as much as I think people tried to keep it in the forefront, of course, everything like took a back seat to, mm. to COVID. So, well, um, you know, two very different things. I, I say when it comes to tree prices, uh, I think uh, Scooter and his spreadsheets are the, is the best one to answer that. Um, from what I saw, like I heard some planters, you know, just tell me they had their best year ever. Um, many of them said, you know, like the, the reports were that they, they um, had, you know, even companies were saying we had a lot less days where people just bombed or they just all of a sudden had inexplicably, you know, you know, bad days after a day off. Um, we had less, you know, less sick days, which sort of amounts to more money in the pocket as well. Um, I think that, you know, generally, um, we didn't see a dip in prices. I can't say that there was necessarily a, a huge rise, but I, I generally saw, you know, based upon what I'm seeing for next year, continued, continued good things. Like, let's face it, there's more, there's, there's a, a high volume. And when there's high volume, people can, you know, bid in a more sort of uh, robust manner. And hopefully we'll see, you know, continuation of, of this price improvement trend. I did see that happening. Um, this year, but I, you know, I, again, I don't have the numbers and the spreadsheets and the data to go on that. There's going to be something called a labor market um, uh, program initiative, basically something to sort of assess how the workforce is done and where the needs are. That might put a little bit more hard number on it. I think harassment, that's more up my alley in terms of what I'm directly involved in. Um, this isn't something we're going to accomplish. This is not a two or a three year um, change project. I think, you know, most people would appreciate that. Um, and it's not just us. We're part of a bigger thing. I think our industry has gone 
in some ways we've gone about addressing it more aggressively than some sectors and more openly, but we also um, have some more distinct needs. There's a, there's a reason why the industry has prioritized it because we, we live and work together. Those conditions are recognized. Um, I did see more progress there. Um, I see continued progress. I see more companies sort of um, taking action, stepping up, sharpening their, sharpening their knives when they have, when they have a situation that requires punitive action. Th those are good things. Um, I can't comment on whether or not there was less or more of that. Let's face it, it it's something that happens in society all around us all the time. Um, I had lots of ongoing discussions with, with companies and individuals, um, you know, around this topic. The interest is very high. Um, with the workshops we did, the real focus last year was trying to get supervisors and crew bosses and, and people in positions of responsibility, increasing their awareness and giving them some tools, giving them some basic communication tools to, to start taking action in the moment. Um, that was that was the sort of the main goal before COVID hit. And, you know, like I did workshops with about, I think it was around 280 people um, in crew boss supervisor positions. And if we look at the industry of 4,500 people, let's say one in eight are in a position of that. So that's, you know, what's one eighth of, we're talking about 600 people in positions of crew leadership. So we got to maybe a third of everybody that we need to reach last year with the workshops. That was good. That, that's a good start. We need to continue that. And I think one of the things we're working on for next year is, is helping companies, um, understand better what they can do, how to take action, how to, how to, like, if you need to fire somebody, how do you do it? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, whether we like it or not, um, even, even perpetrators have rights. If you're going to fire somebody, you really need to do it right. If you're going to punish somebody, you better do it right. The last thing workers should want, the last thing anybody should welcome is a situation where companies can just dole out punishment in a, in a capricious or uneven manner. Even if we desire even if we desire better and stricter punishment of people that do things wrong, we have to be careful what we ask for. If we get if we get too too powerful of a protector, that protector can become you know oppressive. So you want the employer to wield power, but there that has to be done in a in a in the right manner. You don't want that power to just be brought unfairly upon anybody. So we have to be careful about the powers we ask employers to to exercise. So learning how to take action in harassment situations is sort of one of the key things moving forward. How do you do it so that your your action sticks? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, because there's a lot of red tape right now, I think, for employers. And I mean, that really gives uh, the abusers a lot of power and it has for a long time because it is so tricky to actually have grounds to fire someone a lot of the time. So yeah, that's definitely something I think as a whole planters are hoping will, that can be better modified or better, you know, implemented in, in some measure. Cause I think, uh, yeah, just, you know, even my, myself experiencing it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the red tape around everything is, is exhausting for all parties involved. So so yeah, hopefully, and I, I just hope too, like, I don't know how you felt about the momentum behind everything. Cause of course with 
um, with Brett and those ladies doing uh, their work up in Smithers and, you know, how all of that came out in the news back in January. I think there was a lot of momentum there. And I don't know if you saw much of that get kind of squashed by, by COVID throughout the season. But, um, mm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, if it, if it can still keep momentum or if it has been keeping momentum um, throughout everything else. So I don't think it got squashed. I think it actually, we, we, we were really, we were even more concerned. We're kind of going, well, what happens, you know, now when people are isolated and they're stuck in camps together for longer periods of time, like, mm-hmm. you know, we were very cognizant of the fact that domestic violence reports throughout society increased dramatically during, during, you know, April, May. Um, I don't think we saw that effect in our camps. I don't think that there was a sudden outbreak of, you know, interpersonal violence as a result of being cooped up together. In fact, you know, if I had to speculate, I would think that people actually became more sensitive about how they behave because now, you know, you're, you're going to be there together. Mm-hmm. But I think that the work that, that Northern Society for Domestic Peace had undertaken has really progressed. They, they've produced some training videos, like some awareness videos, and they've had some some planting people right directly involved with that to sort of provide more learning and aware, awareness materials. So they're 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 continuing to advance. That hasn't been been stopped. Um, I think that you know there was some inter some interruption in the in doing workshops. Like I did a lot of workshops online, but I didn't get to be there in person. Um, I think that people were already moving in the right direction. I had a lot of companies that I'd never spoken to before just proactively reach out and say, Hey, I want to make a change. I want to see this. I want to see this happen. Um, It's, it's going to be ongoing. And um, you know, like I said, it's part of a bigger, part of a bigger change. So um, we, we also need to look at, you know, getting better at getting better at taking action, getting better at sanctions when sanctions are appropriate but also getting better at the little things, the soft things, um, things like getting better with just some of the language we use, getting better with, um, you know, if something happens and if you, if there's a, an accusation within a company and maybe it's unfounded, maybe a company is not in a position where they can fire or sanction or take action that does happen, but they're always in a position to revisit their policies and make improvements. I'm seeing more of that. I'm seeing more companies sort of kind of going, well, you know, even though we didn't end up, having clarity in terms of what happened, we still feel an obligation or we still feel there's an opportunity here to get better. So I think that's one of the, the, the positive shifts I see happening. Um, so I, you know, I don't think we lost momentum there um, as much as we may have lost it in other areas. I, I actually worry more about the momentum we lost in terms of, you know, some of the, you know, ergonomics and things like that. And, um, you know, getting people moving in the right direction in that respect. Um, not to compare the two issues, but just in terms of comparing where momentum was lost. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we're we're continuing to focus on harassment and rightfully so. And I see a lot of investment in it from, from the industry leaders. Okay, well, that's great to hear. Um, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that and uh, just wrap her up. Um, yeah, hopefully you're going to be watching the One Million Trees doc uh later this week here in a few days it's coming out that's on friday isn't it on the 6th yeah yeah friday on online and then i think saturday night it's on tv so um, yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best i'll, I'll see if that happens I'm, I'm 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 uh yeah i'd like to see that all right well thanks so much jordan for coming on here again and sort of sharing 
what what was going on on your side of things and you know a little bit of an insight for everyone just into next year and and what we can be uh sort of looking towards right on well thanks Aaron and you know thanks for I enjoyed a lot of the podcast that you shared this year you have some you know it's just proof again of how many absolutely fascinating people that are in the industry you had some you had some really interesting guests and I really enjoyed hearing from them yeah, well, and I got lots more coming too. It's really, it's never ending, right? Um, yeah, planters are multifaceted, multi-talented humans. So there's there's so much there. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Right on.